Hello everyone and welcome to um, a very special uh, edition of the Liverpool Echoes Everton podcast um, with myself, Phil Kirkbride, Greg O'Keefe and Dave Prentice and we're gathered here today in, in sort of horrible and sad circumstances but hopefully in a, with a celebratory tone as well as we sort of come around and discuss the life and times and our memories of, of the great Howard Kendall who sadly uh, passed on the weekend. Uh, Dave, I'll start with you and you know you were one of the first people to sort of Find out. I mean, just run us through, if you will, mate. Saturday morning and 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 how it unfolded from from your perspective. Um, it was a very very weird day, to be honest. Um, I was uh, sent out of the house to do a couple of chores in the morning before I went to the match, and um, I've had on my back seat uh, an envelope full of photographs uh, for Howard that he's been pestering me for for ages of him and Sir Philip, that were uh, in the Times the day uh, the time of Sir Philip's uh, unfortunate passing. And he'd not seen these pictures before, and he wanted a couple of copies to put in frames in the house. And I'd managed to get Tony Barrett at the Times to uh, get the pictures to us. I got one of our guys to print them out. Then I'd been sat on my back seat for a fortnight, and I've just been, you know, I must drop them off, I must drop them off. You know, Saturday morning I went round there to do it, and, you know, obviously there was nobody at home. Went back home, just thought I'd gone to the match early, and uh, a couple of guys from the office called, and I said there were a few rather disturbing rumours flying around on, uh, on Twitter. So I rang Ray Parr, who was uh, you know one of Howard's closest friends, and you know Ray Ray has been close to Howard you know since his playing days, and uh, poor Ray hadn't long found out himself he was in bits, and uh, just you know confirmed to us what had happened. So my my immediate thought then was they should postpone the match. I thought you know how can you carry on with the football match when somebody of his standing has passed away? I genuinely didn't think anybody would be able to focus on the game. Um, it probably was the right decision, the circumstances to go ahead with this, despite the uh, the results and the performance. Because I'm convinced that you know that affected an awful lot of people there on the day. Uh, but the mood around, you know, the whole of the, the ground, you know, all afternoon was a very strange one. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing those images of Paul Colin in the main stand, you know, in yeah. bits, and it was it was just a, a really weird day. And it will it will be a very different place without him because he's been part of the furniture there for so long, Howard. Um, he is like as, as close to like a Mr. Everton as you're ever going to get. Mm. Greg, it was, you know, as as well as incredibly sad. It it was strange, wasn't it, having to go to a match two and a half, three hours after we'd found out. You know, yeah. how how did it, you know, how did it sit with you having to be there and and almost trying trying to focus on again football? It must be, it was it was difficult for me, and I imagine same for yourself. <clears throat> Very uncomfortably, is how it sat because. My my immediate kind of sensation, you know, in in our job, I guess, same uh, to a degree as a sporter, you wake up on Saturday and you know what your day's about. You've got that buzz of anticipation, a big game like Everton against United. And uh, it just kept, you know, just uh, completely railroaded me the news uh, when I heard about it. Quick chat with Preno. And um, even now, to be honest, I don't think it's really sunk in. Yeah. I've written... You know quite a lot about it, and I've kind of been helping the lads put together our sixteen-page special today. And yet, underpinning it all is that little bit. I don't know. It's you know you get this when something unexpected happens, and 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 someone it's very special to all of us passes away. But I don't think I've quite got my head around it really. Yeah. yeah. I still think it will come to a point whereby I'll I'll go. You know, Phil will be spoken to Howard for his column, or I'll be thinking about him, or and you know, then it'll maybe sink in. I don't know, but. Mm. Just incredibly sad, and, and sat there at Goodison, just thinking, I really don't care about this match. There, yeah. I just, like Preno says, 
should it have gone ahead? Well, yeah, I guess it has to really. Mm. Uh, especially given the short notice that everyone had, we all had to just deal with it, and the club were in the same boat there. But uh, football undoubtedly took a back seat, and um, the day and then the weeks and months to come were just about Howard. And I just hope that you know he's always remained such a vibrant part of the football club that he he, he has been. Mm. And it feels weird saying that he was because even using the past tense doesn't feel yeah. right at the moment, but. Mm. Just such a lovely, lovely guy. And such a, a huge figure. I mean, you think about it, it's 15 years since he was a manager, and yet everybody talks about him every single day. Yeah. I mean, that lovely message from Adam Jones, one of the young lads that works here, and he said he was on work experience here, and he said uh, every day that he was in, Howard Kendall's name was mentioned, <laughs> either with a story, with an anecdote, you know, just with... Because he was such a, a great character, um, you know, old school, um, you know, sort of different era, I suppose. Uh, but you know that shouldn't underlie the fact or understate the fact that he was a, a wonderful tactician, a very keen, you know, razor sharp yeah. uh, football mind. But above it all, a character. And you know, some of the stories that you've heard over the last few days are just great. And everyone's got different ones. I mean, the editor just reminded me then because uh, I've written thousands of words about him in the last couple of days. And he said, "Didn't he once ball you out in a match?" What are you talking about? And then the, the penny dropped. I remembered it was a game we'd played. Uh, Dave Hickson was playing up front, he was in his 60s then Dave, and uh, Howard was playing in midfield, and uh, I think Dave Watson was managing the game, and uh, I thought I was doing alright, and I got uh, hemmed in on the uh, the touchline, and so saw you know, the, the coward's way out, I thought I'd just like chip chip the ball forward for Hickson to try and chase onto, <laughs> Davey went charging after it, you know, game as anything, and 60 odd years old, got his buddy legs all tangled up and went flying, anyway at half time, uh, Waggy dragged me off, and uh, Howard... To be fair, I said to, said to Waggy, what are you doing taking Prentice off? He's the only guy making things happen. So I was buzzing. I thought, oh, yeah, you know, Howard's talking me up. Then he turned on me. He said, well, and what do you think you're doing? Chipping a ball for a 60-year-old man to chase. Know your players, lad. Know your players. And it was as close as I'd ever get to like, uh, being on the receiving end of a team talk from Howard. Uh, but you'd imagine that was the kind of you know spirit he took into you know professional dressing yeah. rooms. And he was just great fun to be with all the time. Uh, you know, lovely, vibrant character. Very, very warm. Um, I put the piece, uh, uh, the story in the, uh, the article that I wrote about him coming up with Kenny Dalglish to reward a couple of Echo readers uh, for a lunch at the Malmaison. And we just thought it was just him coming along, you know, giving up his time. But at the end of the dinner, he actually, you know, rummaged around in a bag he brought with him and plucked out this picture that he'd uh, made himself, framed himself and signed <laughs> and gave it to the two lads and said, you know, hey, I'll just, just a little memento for you. Just a wonderful, lovely, warm human being. He just loved it, didn't he? I mean, like, you see in this day and age, managers, who, and I suppose they want to do the day-to-day, the training round, do the match, and then afterwards they want to forget about that. They you know, wouldn't be particularly warm to fans or be particularly welcoming to media. They just want to vanish off. But Howard just loved every element of yeah. it. He lived, not slap-bang, he didn't live in the city centre, but he lived in the, you know, right amidst his community, mm. the supporters of... Merseyside, he got involved, you know, he was as welcome and accommodating to us, the media. He loved his players, yeah. he proper loved being amongst them, he was a proper lad. They loved him in turn. And every element of it, like even stuff you're hearing now about how he used to say, you know, he'd be all right on the players having the odd night out when they'd perform well, you know, given that it was a sensible around training mm. time, as long as he could go. <laughs> you know, he just... He just had a sparkle in his eye, didn't yeah. he? Oh, well, he was a social animal, wasn't he? I mean, he's the only manager that I've ever been on pre-season tour with that the press genuinely tried to steer clear of <laughs> because he, he, his constitution was phenomenal. You know, yeah, Colin would sit down with him having dinner mm. 
And um, Colin had spot the press lads lurking, you know, around the other restaurants, and he'd call us over. And we thought, <laughs> oh dear. Colin would then slide away at the back, make his excuses, and leave, and leave Howard to hold court with us. He'd put a couple of bottles of wine away. We'd try and keep pace with him, fail miserably. We'd all be obliterated. Howard would still be going strong. Next morning, Bryce is a button. He's first up for training, charging around the training field. We're all in bits. He was, incredible. he was just a, an, an incredible character. And it, it was a different age, but he, he was. You'll be hard pressed to find any, you know, sort of footballers out there with a bad word to say about him. Graham Stewart in the piece yeah. that we did, you know, said when he sold him, he said, I felt obliged to leave reluctantly because Howard wanted me to, because he wanted the money to get in a couple of players from Sheffield United. He said, I didn't want to go because it was the gaffer telling me I felt like I had to. Mm-hmm. That kind of influence. It's mad in football, which is such like a bitchy profession. And, you know, players and managers and players who maybe have bad experiences with managers and vice versa. I've never, ever heard one bad word about Howard. Never. I can't say that about anyone else in football. No. We'll pick up something he said about as well, Greg, before, about he loved it and he was part and parcel of everything, Everton, you know, on on the pitch, off the pitch and everything. We just spoke to Michael Ball for his column there. and Obviously, a big part of of Howard in, in sort of the modern era was that, that when you went with him to Finch Farm two years ago yeah. and Roberto brought him back in and showed him around. And Ball, he just told me a really interesting story then. He said he met Howard the day after and he said Howard was absolutely buzzing. He said he was like a kid at Christmas. Mm-hmm. He said he was absolutely bowled over that they'd had him back. Oh, and Ball, okay. he was like, but Howard, you should be welcome back any day. You know, you are Everton type of thing. But he said he was just completely taken and, you know, yeah. taken aback by the fact that the club had had made the gesture to invite him down to the training ground. And he said he's like a kid at Christmas who wouldn't stop talking about it. And said he was a little bit different to Belfield, Finch Farm, he said. <laughs> oh, very much yeah. so. Well, no, it, it, it was wrong that it took so long for him to come back, you know, because he has been such a, you know, a revered and influential figure. And, yeah, I mean, Finch Farm is chalk and cheese compared to Belfield. Um, I mean, I was the, the Everton correspondent when you go down to Belfield and you'd have to wait at the bottom of that staircase until you get the, the curly finger to go upstairs and then he'd um, <laughs> go and sit in his little office. And he'd try and give the press good stories. You know, he'd try and look after you. Um, on the Friday afternoon, he'd always insist that Kenny Dalglish did his press conference first so that you know, the press could then come back to Belfield and see him. And he'd say, right, what's that red get giving you? He goes, right, I'll top that. I'll top that. I'll give you a better story than that. Because he wanted Everton on the back pages rather than Liverpool. And he did. He genuinely tried to give you good stories. Sometimes it didn't always work that well. I remember uh, transfer deadline day, 97 was it, when uh, Peter Beagree uh, came back. And um, I was down there waiting in the morning and I'd got wind that you know a signing was going to happen. And fair play to Howard, he goes, look, it hasn't tied up yet. Wait downstairs. As soon as it's tied up, I'll let you know. I'd rung the office. Our editor then, John Griffith, was a huge Evertonian. Really excited because, you know, a new Everton were making a new signing. You know, so who's, who's it going to be? So Howard then, you know, 20 minutes later, calls me halfway up the stairs. It's sorted, lad. We made the sign and you can write it. Great, what is it? Peter Beagree's coming back on loan. So I tried to look excited, you know, and much as I love Beagree, you know, his best days were behind him. I thought, right, okay. I had to ring the office and speak to the editor and say, not quite what you're expecting, John. Peter Beagree's coming back on loan. Wasn't quite the, uh, the impact he was hoping for. But that was how I'd try to help you. He would try and, you know, do all he could to give you decent sales. You mentioned Finch Farm there, though. I genuinely felt privileged to be there that day because, yeah. it, like you say, Bowley detected that he was still the next day, he was still on cloud nine. He was just buzzing. Mm. And for me, it's not the, you know, the, the, for me to really go, as Preno said, criticise previous regimes that haven't invited him there. But I'm just 
glad that Martinez did. Mm. And it says a lot about Martinez and the early doors he thought. And as you would, let's learn about the, the history to, and, yeah, and the yeah. heritage of the club that you're at. And he got him in there. And, you know, he... I think he'd like got his best. Like he had like a really smart kind of Lacoste card. Yeah, I think he, he made did, a real yeah. effort. Yeah. He to me, he almost seemed a little bit nervous mm. at first, as if Howard did. Yeah. 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 Just think the, yeah. just the, the moments, the significance yeah, yeah. of it on yeah. him. But that's strange to think then, Howard is anything other than ultra confident. Well, isn't it? yeah, exactly. Greatest manager in the club's yeah. history. What's he? What would he have to be nervous about? Yeah. Whether it was just the emotion of it, mm. I don't know. And he was walking around, so obviously a building he'd never been in. Yeah. And. Um, that those nerves vanished with every single person who saw him, their face lit up. Mm. I'm talking people from Sue Palmer, the manager's secretary. Yeah. You've got you know, the kit men, Tony Sage, Jimmy <laughs> Martin, everyone who saw him, David Unsworth was there. Obviously, Dunk saw him, and, and those two are thick as yeah. thieves anyway. And it was just it was just really, really nice to see. And I think I wrote at the time, he, he could have taken a training session there, and then I've got no doubt oh, about yeah. it. And you know, even if he was putting up on modern tactics or uh, up to stats, <laughs> just something about him, mm. his charisma, about the energy he gave off. Players, you could transmit it to people around him even then. Mm. And I'm sure you could have uh, inspired a team. Well, he certainly inspired us, like individually as journalists. I know yeah, doing absolutely. his column, mm, absolutely doing his column was a pleasure. You, know, you, you talk about you know the uh, modern tactics and stuff. I mean, there was a stuff uh, Martin Keown this morning wrote a really good piece uh, in the Mail, talking about uh, the short-sided football, you know, uh, games they played there. And he said that it really stood him in really good stead. You know, so when he moved on to Arsenal, because not many teams were doing that at the time. Um, you know, he was a real football coach. Uh, everything was with the ball. Everything was, you know, so short and sharp. Head tennis, he loved. He used to have all these, you know, so head tennis challenges. Everything was with the ball. You know, it, it wasn't running. It wasn't about fitness. It was about ball control and controlling matches. I mean, he always wanted to build teams with balance. That was what his big. Uh, buzz phrase was Harry Cassidy had done that in the 60s and that, that's what he wanted to do and it was all about constructing a team that was balanced and that's why he sold Gary Lineker I know there were rumours flying around that he thought he was getting the Barcelona job so he thought he'd sell Gary Lineker <laughs> first and have this you know, world class centre forward to inherit and that's complete rubbish you know. so it, that's not the case uh, Lineker said that you know, Howard said it many times he said he looked at the squad and he decided they were too route one he says they were relying on Gary Lineker's pace too much uh, and it was you know more, more, not easy to control or contain, but you know, so uh, more straightforward to, to stop Everton from scoring than it had been. Uh, he, ultimately, he was proved right. You know, he spent some of that money on Dave Watson. It was you know, a tower of strength for like the next part of the next twenty odd years, uh, and Everton won the league the following season. Yeah, so he was, he was uh, ahead of his time in many respects. Probably worth noting, Preno, as well, and speaking about Howard as, as a player and, and and you know, sort of. It emphasises people that maybe haven't sort of, you know, a younger generation who maybe haven't sort of realised that as much. I mean, he was part of, you know, a triumvirate of three, the three greatest players, arguably, you know, in that era of... Ever. You suggest that I'm old enough to have seen <laughs> No, I was... Uh, I saw him play when he came back as player-manager in the, uh, the early 80s. Yeah. And, you know, and clearly he was, you know, he was a very tidy, cultured player. Didn't, you know, really, you know, sort of stand out. Mm. Uh, but you know, from the sixties, it's just what I've seen on YouTube, yeah. and obviously I'm a bit of a sad anorak, and I do sit and watch loads and loads and loads of them. And again, it, it's all about balance. Again, you know, him, Colin, and Bawley did seem to all do different jobs very, very well, and just like fitted together so seamlessly. And uh, when you speak to you know other guys, you know, just slightly older than myself, that you know saw him play regularly, and they all just you know say what an underestimated mm. player he was. 
And you look at the people that were keeping out of the England team at the time. I mean, Alan Mullery, John Hollins, you know, they're not absolute greats. You know, so, you know, at the very least, he should have got a couple of caps. But Sir Ralph was very, very loyal, you know, to his squad. And it was very difficult to get caps then. You know, so it was a much cherished thing to be an England international, unlike now. Mm. Greg, I know both yourself and Dave have written about it many a year ago, um, about leaving a, a lasting legacy for Howard. At Goodison, I mean, would you just sort of like to share with us your thoughts about what, what Everton could do? Well, for me, it's straightforward. I want to see a stand named after Howard Kendall. I think it should have happened anyway, as Dave and I have written about it, and Dave rightly said when we were chatting over the weekend, all right, hindsight is a perfect thing, and so I'm not criticising the club, but it would be nice to, for that to have happened while he was with us. That's not going to obviously be possible now, but I think what they should do is expedite that idea listen to the fans who clearly want it and, and name if it's the main stand, if it's the park end, mm. maybe the park end would be easier. It's not much an identity park, the park end really, the Howard Kendall stand. Mm. Um, that for me would be the number one. Mm. If for whatever reason that can't happen, I'd like to know why, then there needs to be some sort of lasting significant memorial. We've got that brilliant Dick Steen statue. Brilliant, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd have a statue, I'd name the stand after him personally. Yeah. I don't think you can underestimate what he meant to Everton Football Club. As Dixie Dean, I mean, Andy Burnham actually made a good point. Dixie Dean is, for me, obviously, he's an undisputed member of that pantheon. Mm. Arguably, one, well, the best player. Yes. Not arguably, the best player. But Howard was one of the best players and the best manager. Yeah. For me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I'd like to try and think, you know, if somebody could do something different... You know, because we've got the statue already, uh, stands, we haven't got a stand named after anybody, uh, but that, that has happened in the past. I'd like something a bit more original. Uh, it's difficult to think of what, um, you know, the, the park end, is there anything that in Howard's, you know, managerial career associated with the park end? Not really. I know the street end will always be the street end, but for me, that's where, you know, so many of the most famous goals, you know, went in, notably against Bayern Munich, all three of them that night. And, you know, you can never re rename the Gladys Street end. It'll always be the Gladys Street. But, you know, a stand within that end could be the Howard Kendall stand at mm. the Gladys Street end. Mm. You know, if you're going to name a stand, why not, you know, the most popular home section of the ground? Um, but it's got to be something special because I'm with you on this, Greg. Yeah, he's, you know, the... If, if he's behind Dixie, it's not by much. And, you know, he is, like, you know, the, one of the most influential figures in the club's history. Dixie is the best player, bar none. He'll never, his achievements will never be matched. But Howard, you know, was the best manager. Um, you know, he, he overtook Harry Catterick's record. I know Harry Catterick won a couple of titles mm. in the FA Cup. Howard had his European Cup Winners' Cup to that yeah. and did so at a period when another club across the park was so ridiculously dominant that, you know, he managed to, uh, you know, interrupt all that. So, yeah, just an absolutely vast influence. And I think something's got to be done. Um, you know, hopefully better brains than mine at the football club can come up with something really lasting and something, you know, really precious because he deserves it. Even the main stand, I mean, the main stand isn't the main stand, says nothing, does it, Julian? Yeah, yeah. If you... If you... The how, you know, the Howard Kendall stand, I mean, it just, yeah. uh, it just, you know, rings great, sounds great, doesn't it? You know, look at... And, uh, you know, there's a petition on the website, on our website today which has been started by supporters. The club are usually very good at things mm. like this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think they'll make the right decision. Absolutely. Well, and as you know, we hope that everything that we've produced has, has sort of done done the great man justice and is a celebration of, of, of what he achieved. Go on, Greg. I mean, we've we've said our apartment, you, know, you can't even really begin. It's just like scratching mm -hmm. the surface. But you wrote a really nice piece as well. 
you obviously currently the Everton correspondent and doing his column every week. You know, yeah, I know. Boy, well, just tell. Well, Thursday is never going to be the same, are they? To be honest, um, I say I didn't know him as as well or as, for as long as as the pair of you had. But anyway, and I wrote in the piece that you know he was a manager of a different generation, and and even even this week was sort of couldn't quite get his head round some of the modern, as you said, stats and Opta and what have you. It was just nonsense to him, really. But if anybody was to dismiss him as out of touch with modern football. You would, I'd have to completely disagree because he was a thorough football man and that, that translated into any era. And he could dissect a game and offer insight and tactics and opinion that were as good as anything out there in Everton. Mm. You know, and this is a man who was managing you know, in a different time, so to speak. So it was, um, it was always a pleasure. And you know, he, uh, as, we, as I said in the piece, he appreciated the early phone calls. The earlier, the better. Yeah. And, no. a, lot, a lot of it was down to instinct with Howard. I mean... You went to watch Travis Steven Lord knows how many mm. times, and the final time he actually, you know, disguised himself and stood on the terraces because <laughs> Bob Paisley was chasing him as well. He didn't want Liverpool to know that he was, you know, close to signing him. Um, but Andy Gray, you know, his, his legs were gone, you know, his knees were shot, and uh, you know, it was only eighteen months he lasted at Everton. But what an eighteen yeah. months! One of my favourite ever players, Andy Gray. Despite what you might think of him as a commentator or an analyst, what a player! And um, Howard took a chance on him uh, because he just felt that there was something there still. There was a little flame that was still you know, burning. There was a spark of something still there. And uh, just, again, read something I read this morning. He'd failed the medical miserably. Yeah, yeah. Nerve and it said, you know, there was no chance. And uh, Howard said, right, well, what would you be doing on Saturday? You know, Andy, if uh, you hadn't signed for Everton, you'd be playing for Wolves. He says, well, it'll do for me. You know, so, you know, we'll sign you. 200 grand that Everton could ill afford at the time. And, you know, what a catalyst because Howard just felt there was something there. And apart from being a great footballer, it was the personality that you know rubbed off, helped give Graham Sharp loads of confidence, mm. brought Peter Reid, you know, so they buzzed off each other. It, it did. It just you know it, it was the right signing at the right time, and that was purely down to instinct. You know, if you looked at the stats and you know the Opta Zone, you know, calculations and what have you, you probably wouldn't have gone near him with the barge pole. Yeah. But Howard felt it was right, and it was. And so many of his signings mm. fitted that category. But that's, that's, that's part of the appeal of Howard, isn't it? The you know, emotion, the heart on the sleeve. Telling Bayern Munich where to go on the touchline, you know, it just all just all adds to it, doesn't it? It's just, you know. But it was always done really dignified, Howard. Mm. I mean, he was always he always looked immaculate. Uh, he always used to get you know the coaches to away matches, and he used to sit at the back of the coach in his bloody underwear, so that his, his so his suit and his shirt was hung up, you yeah. know, so next to him, everybody has to be sat down. Their suits would get all rumpled and you know crinkled while they sat down. Ten minutes before they got off, Howard had put his on, and it'd be crisp as anything. And you know, how the hell's he managed that? Because he, he liked to look the part, and he did. And uh, some of his press conferences, you know, back in the day, were absolutely top class because he just was so sharp. Uh, you know, the famous Brian Clough quote when he called him an arrogant pup, and uh, you know, a couple of the press lads trying to get a reaction from Howard. And quick as a flash, nope, sorry, I can't reply to that. I'm a hush puppy. <laughs> and yeah, when we beat Spurs in the uh, in the FA Cup fifth round. And Liverpool were playing Brighton the next day. And Elton Wells beat Collard him. says, well, who would you like in the next round, Howard? He goes, well, don't really mind. As long as it's a home tie, don't really care who we get. And he smiled and goes, Brighton would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> and, you know, that caused World War Three nowadays. But back then with a little twinkle in the eye, you know, it was. It was just, it was a lovely line. And he was full of them. He, he was great to deal with. Maybe fitting of the last game he did see was the derby. Maybe that's, that's kind of the fitting. Well, you know what? That, that significance had passed me by. And uh, and Andrew Lancel, the, uh, the actor who's a uh, big Evertonian, was talking to us yesterday and he pointed that out and was so honoured he said to have been the person that showed him to his seat in that <laughs> game and uh, he said you know just an incredible honour that that is for me and it was weird listening to him talk he says 
he says you like me he says i've got a job that allows your heroes to become your mates and he says you know how on earth did i think that you know when i was a kid playing in a den that he'd called Necklad because it was Kendall backwards. <laughs> he says, I had my den named after him. And uh, he said that I'd know he was going to become my friend, you know, so in later years. And he told a lovely little anecdote to finish with about um, when Howard had been asked in recent years to speak at the Southport Supporters Club, uh, some kind of dinner. And uh, he'd agreed to do it. And, uh, they, you know, they said, great, you know, so how much do you want paying? He goes, nah, you're all right, lad. He goes, tell you what, I've got a loose banister at home. If any of you are joiners, send the joiner out to fix it for me and I'll do it for you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you think, oh, yeah, a bit of a story. A couple of guys on Twitter this morning got in touch with me. Oh, yeah, we were at that dinner. So-and-so, so-and-so is the joiner that went round, had a cup of coffee with him. You know, he just he had that connection, you know, so yeah. with, with the, uh, the ordinary fans, which is why people, you know, are so fond of him. Absolutely. Well, we could, we could talk for forever and a day, couldn't we, about Howard? And, you know, that's... And I'm sure everybody will continue to, you know, as we said before, he was a day wouldn't go past without his name being mentioned in, in this office. And I'm sure it'll be the same at, at Goodison and, and amongst every Evertonian. So thanks for listening. Uh, a sad start, but we hope a celebratory feel about the life and times of the great Howard Kendall. Ben jij prijsbewust? Nu extra MB's bij de Huawei P Smart. Voor 14,50 per maand, 100 minuten of sms's en 1500 MB internet tijdens de Ben Prijsbewust Weken. Kijk op ben.nl. Let op. Geld plenen kost geld.